You're listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. John 8, where Jesus claims to be the light of the world, and as preparation for the message, we are going to read the context of this great exchange between Jesus, the people, and the Pharisees during the Feast of the Booth. So follow along as we read in John 7, 37 through 52. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. But we are in a series called I Am. And take your Bible and turn with me to the book of John chapter 8 this morning. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. This is a very basic question. It's actually almost too easy of a question, but we're going somewhere with this, so I'm going to ask it to you anyway. And as you, as you answer this question, I want you to do something a little different this week. Don't just answer it in your head. But if you could, write it down on a piece of paper. Maybe some of you take notes every week. I've seen your notes. You're awesome note takers. Not everybody's a note taker. I get that. But just just jot this down, this simple answer to this very simple question. What is the purpose of a sign? What's the purpose of a sign in your minds? Talking about like that sign that like is pointing to something. What is the purpose of a sign. Uh, I, it's not a trick question, okay? Uh, just write that down, tuck it away. We're gonna come back to that, right? Now, a sign is something that sometimes it doesn't really fit the occasion. Have you ever, have you ever seen one of those signs that's like way too small? Uh, the words you can barely make out. It just does a horrible job of like directing you to where you want to go. And then sometimes on the flip side, you can have a sign that just overpromises and under delivers. It's, it's just like this incredible sign. This looks like the most amazing place in the world. 
like Niagara Falls, cough Niagara Falls uh, would be one of them. And then you get there and it's not quite as amazing as it was all the hype built up to be. Well, it's very important that you have a sign that does the right thing. The purpose of a sign has to be bigger. Uh, it has to point you to something that is bigger than the sign itself. Now, let's turn our attention after saying all of that, we'll come back to that, but let's turn our attention to John 8. And before I read this passage, we already read the beginning of this conversation that Jesus had at the Feast of Booths, right? And we're going to actually finish this chapter today, but I'll tell you right now, there's 59 verses in this chapter, and we're not going to read all of them. Um, but I do want to actually recreate this story for you a little bit because what Jesus says is going to really pop when you have an understanding of the context of where Jesus is. Now, we already mentioned this is the Feast of Booths, all right? I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say there's not that many of us in here that are like Jewish historians of the first century that know a whole lot and that you're super sharp on the Feast of Booths, right? Am I, am I safe to say, like, you don't know everything about the Feast of Booths? Should I, like, at least help you there with the Feast of Booths? Um, well, this is a holiday, and we actually don't have anything in America that quite measures up to it in our culture. And as a matter of fact, this is a holiday that they celebrated that makes American holidays sound boring in, in comparison. So what was it? Well, during the seventh month of their calendar, the Hebrew calendar, which was Tishra, and the reason I bring that up is because this would be, this holiday was right around the end of September, early October, okay? So right where we're at right now, fall season. And I don't want to like blend the cultures and the seasons too much. I know that's a little bit of a stretch. You know, this isn't quite like your uh, caramel apples and apple cider donuts, but you could say this is pretty close to a fall festival. And what is happening in this fall-like festival is actually a week-long holiday where all of these Israelites would gather to Jerusalem and they would build a little booth. They would build a makeshift structure that actually pointed them back to the time when they were in uh, the wilderness, when they were waiting to go into the promised land. And they had to have a temporary tabernacle because the temple wasn't built. But they actually followed God in the wilderness through what is through light, actually, through, through a pillar of cloud by day and through a pillar of fire by night. They, that generation that had disobeyed God was actually being disciplined by God. So for 40 years, they were in the wilderness. And they're looking back at their history. The whole story of the Exodus is actually a picture of our salvation. So even after they were saved out of the bondage of slavery, like we are saved out of the bondage of, of sin, uh, they made a mistake and they were in the wilderness, but God never left them. He was always there to provide for them. So their history is... God was there. He delivered us. He was faithful to us then. He'll be faithful for us now. And they were also looking ahead to the promised Messiah at this Feast of Booths. So if you can imagine, this is just a giant week of camp 
in downtown Jerusalem, you got all these people, thousands and thousands of people crowding the cities, setting up their little temporary structures. There's dancing, there's music. And I wish there was caramel apples and apple cider donuts. I doubt it. They had their own version of that, but it was just a big party in the streets. And every single night, the Temple Mount area was lit up. And you'd have this amazing picture of lights. Now, we were already reading in John 7 where where we found that this is towards the end of the festival, right? This is the very end of the Feast of Booths. And in John 8, verse 20, we are going to see that uh, Jesus right now is testifying in the court of the temple, or in the treasury court of the temple, right? So we're in the last day. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I, I have to say this. If you read the very, very end of this chapter, John 8, 58, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible just because Jesus is so bold and so strong and he just shuts everything down completely. So without spoiling it, I want to show you where this conversation is going because it ends, just look at it with me. John 8, 58, Jesus says here, truly I say to you before Abraham was, I am. And then verse 59 So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple. So this whole conversation is going to end with Jesus claiming to be the great I am. The Jews knew exactly what Jesus was saying, and they were ready to stone him. So that's where this is going. But I want you to see right now in verse 12 why they got so mad. How did this conversation get to that point? Well, this is where it starts John 8, 12, look with me. Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So on the last day, which was actually called, oh, what is it? Uh, I want to pronounce this one right. I have it written down. Um, Sakat. The the night of illumination, you can't pronounce that one wrong, right? Sakat, the night of illumination, it's on the Temple Mount area. Everything is dark except for all of these lights that are in the temple. Just, and, and historians talk about this. This was one of those things where they had no electricity in this day. So if you can just imagine, like, it's pitch black dark, but there's this beaming, like, emerald of light just beaming forth from the Temple Mount area for miles and miles. Like if you went to the Feast of Booths, this is something you told your grandkids about and you wanted them to come see this at one point in time. This is the brightest scene you can imagine. Jesus is right there and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. This whole festival, this whole celebration was a sign that was pointing to Jesus Christ. And that's what he makes that declaration. Can you visualize this? Can you just hear the pin drop? You have dead silence as Jesus claims this. You can now hear the flames flickering in the wind because there's all these torches and lights lit up everywhere. And right here in this verse, John 8, 12, Jesus masterfully proclaims three truths in this verse. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. Number one is believe in the light of the world. So when Jesus says this, 
He is not just giving a very clever analogy. And I'll tell you the truth, my whole life until I studied this passage in the context of this passage this week, I always just thought that was a really good, good illustration, Jesus. What a great imagery. Jesus is so good at those, right? You know, it's, it, it, it's great. It's true. Um, what a perfect metaphor. Jesus doesn't just make sense. He brings sense to the world. He is sense. He is light. He is light that our darkened eyes, um, that, that we can't see until we know him. And as C.S. Lewis once put it, believing in Jesus is like believing the sun has risen. We believe not because we see it, but because by it we see everything else. That is Jesus. He is the light of the world. But in real-time reality right here, Jesus is saying that, and he's even saying more. Because what he is saying is, this whole festival that you are celebrating, and because the Jews on the, on the day of illumination, the night of illumination, the, the night of Sukkot, in the Feast of Booths, this is the time when, when the, the crowd, the thousands of people in unison, would actually, they would actually quote Isaiah. I am the light of the world. Like they would actually quote that in unison. It was a very powerful scene. But Jesus right here is actually saying that whole sign points to me. And let's not make the sign overshadow the Savior. Don't miss the Savior that it is pointing to. This was earth shattering for a number of reasons. But here's one of them right here. The Israelites, at this stage of the game, were doing something that we can easily stumble into as well. They were so about the sign. They were enjoying the festival. They were so all about the particulars. You got to get this right. This is such an amazing experience. And they did that year after year after year. They lost sight of what the sign was pointing to. Pointing to the Savior, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the light of the world. And, and many of us can actually focus on all of the signs in life that are, that are shades and, and, they, and they, they are imagery that point to, G, to Jesus. But we make those the main thing rather than Jesus the main thing. Let me describe it to you this way. Um, let me back up a little bit. When Julie and I were married, we were married in Michigan, that's where she's from. I was already living in Colorado at the time. And you know, we went on a honeymoon and all that in Florida, amazing time. Julie actually got really sick at the end of our honeymoon, so we were in the hospital for about a week. And then we finally got our stuff back in Michigan in a U-Haul, okay, U-Haul trailer. And honestly, to this day, looking back at it, we didn't need a U-Haul. You know, like 90% of the U-Haul was empty. We had like like three things in there, it was ridiculous. But we're driving this U-Haul with no air conditioning, no reclining seats, from Michigan all the way to Colorado. Julie was still really sick. It was, for, it was one of the worst drives of our life, even though we were just coming off the honeymoon. It was a rough drive. Didn't know what the future held, but we're going to Colorado to, to, to work at this new church plant. It was, that was exciting. But as we're driving to Colorado, I don't know if anybody's ever made this drive from like the plains of Kansas, of like just vast nothingness for, for forever. Like you're about ready to fall asleep at the wheel, so you gotta have some caffeine. Even though I don't drink caffeine, you gotta have something on this drive. And you know the mountains of Colorado are coming, right? But there is a sign at every entry point in Colorado, and I'll show you a picture of it. 
It's this sign right here. It says, welcome to colorful Colorado. Ben knows this sign. Ben loves these signs. He cherishes this sign. Now, every time you see this sign in Colorado, I have to tell you, it doesn't look that colorful. Because either you're, you're like on the, on the western slope or you're way over here in the like eastern plains, and it's just kind of vacant and, and empty, and you're like, is this place really going to be that colorful, like the sign says? But they have these signs, and once you actually get into the mountains and you experience all that there is, all the colors and the beautiful creation that is in Colorado, you have a fondness for a sign like this because you know this sign actually promises something and there is something here to look forward to. It's, it's an accurate sign of colorful Colorado. But it would be weird if you drove to the sign, you took your picture at the sign, and then you just drove home, right? Like, okay. <laughs> Like, big deal. We, we, we live for the sign. Here it is. Yay. Like, the sign is pointing to something grand and glorious that God created out here in Colorado. But it's not the main point. It's not the main attraction, right? The mountains are the main attraction. And us, too, in our lives, if, you, if you're following, you're tracking with me here, we can make things in our life that are, that are symbols that point to Jesus Christ, like amazing things that that actually are directing us to something more powerful in, in the light of life. And we can make that the be-all, end-all. And we can miss Jesus Christ in the process. Let me give you a few examples. I mean, we could probably sit here all day and go through examples of this, but I just want to give you a couple. Um, we could do this with everyday things like anxiety and stress. Those are signs that point to a heart belief. But far too often, we look at stress and anxiety as like, that's the problem. As if I have to just get some self-care and alleviate that, and I'll, I'll manage my anxiety, and I'll be all good. But no, that is a sign that is pointing to something that is deeper, that is coming from your heart. Your emotions are flowing out of your own heart. So you have to go deeper than the symptom and identify what is causing that condition. That's what is the sign pointing to. Here's another one. We can get so consumed with even some of the best things, some of the best signs in our life, like marriage or church. Are those signs? Yes, actually they are. Marriage is a picture of God's love for us. And, and, and as a member of the church, we are the bride of Christ. And actually marriage is a complete sign that is, it is pointing out how Jesus sacrificed his life out of love for his bride, the church. So we can make marriage as the be-all, end-all. And I'll, I'll tell you the truth. If, if you think just walking down that aisle, all right, I've arrived, this is it, I won, you have another thing coming because marriage is difficult and there's, and there's rough days ahead. Don't just live for the marriage because if you make that the thing, your spouse, whoever they are, is going to woefully disappoint you, right? Anybody married? Can you nod your head with me? Like, they're going to disappoint. I'm going to disappoint Julie. I've, I've disappointed her recently. Like, it happens, okay? <laughs> so we don't need to live for marriage as if I've now, I've now gotten everything I hoped for. No, marriage is even a sign. Even the church, right? We can get so consumed with church being right. i got to find the perfect church. 
with no problems. Every, every detail has to be right. You know what? Details weren't right today because I took the church tent to the men's camp out. And, uh, well, the cookout, the camp out that turned into a cookout, which was awesome. Some of you guys sit out there until like 1130. So you basically still did camp out pretty much. Uh, but I took the tent with me and the tent didn't get back. You know what? Life happens. Uh, here we are. We're all human, right? We can't make church and everything about the church be what we worship. We gather as a body of believers. The church is this assembly of believers to worship Jesus Christ. And we as the church are the light that points people to Christ. Spoiler alert. It's coming. But we have to make the main thing the main thing. We can't get so focused on the sign that we miss what the sign is pointing to. So look again at John 8, 12 with me. Here's the next point that Jesus makes, and it's our second point today. I'll, I'll read the verse again. Can't read this verse enough. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So point number two is follow the light out of the darkness. Very simple message today. We're not going to overcomplicate this. This outline came. You can see exactly how I got this outline. And believe it or not, I worked really hard on this. And at the end of the day, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do better than what Jesus gave here in this verse, the three phrases that he has in this verse. So number two, follow the light out of the darkness. Jesus says this. Um, in some translations, we'll say never walk in darkness. Will not walk in darkness is, is what the ESV says. Um, let's go back to this magnificent metaphor of the light, right, for a minute. You cannot mask darkness. You can't cover up darkness. It just doesn't work. The only way to get rid of darkness is what? To bring light into the picture. Light is the active power that dispels darkness. It erases darkness once you have light. And Jesus Christ is the light of truth that dispels the darkness and the falsehood of this world. You're never going to convince people who are believing a lie by a crafty narrative if they're living in darkness, if their eyes are blinded. Only Jesus can change their heart. Jesus Christ is the light of wisdom that dispels the darkness of ignorance. Jesus Christ is the light of holiness that dispels the darkness of impurity. Jesus Christ is the light of joy that dispels the darkness of sorrow. And Jesus Christ is the light that dispels the darkness of death. That's who Jesus is. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, everyone at this temple area, here he is in the, in the treasury, right there with lights beaming behind him, if you can picture that scene, they knew exactly what he was saying. He was saying two things in this exchange. I am, he's claiming to be God, the light of the world, which is the Messiah. Because that whole week, was pointing to the Messiah. The whole party, the whole fall festival that also blends in a little bit of, you know, Christmas tree, just 40 times brighter than the biggest Christmas tree in Times Square. That whole holiday was, it was something that had historical significance and it pointed to the Messiah. And Jesus wasn't a light. He said, I am the light of the world. 
Not a light in Judea, not a, not a light in, in, in his little neighborhood. I am the light of the world. So follow the light out of darkness. Here comes the offensive part of the gospel. And uh, it's very important that we actually just pause here and buckle up because we're going to park here for a minute. I know I said buckle up and park. You're like, David, don't you like usually take your seatbelt off when you park? But I want you to focus on this, and you do need to actually buckle down and listen to me here because we can joke around, right? And, um, you know, I, I was joking around about the holiday of, of being a giant fall festival camping, like, yeah, that holiday makes American holidays look boring, sure. I mean, we like one holiday, right? You know, we like our holidays to have one night because I don't want to spend two nights with my in-laws. That would be terrible. And, and throw a little commercialization in there too, please, with my holiday. No, this holiday is not like that. This holiday is actually pointing out the light in the darkness, all right? And we do live in this present world that is scarred by sin and tainted with darkness. So the offensive part of the gospel, if you don't know Jesus, you are lost. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you've never had forgiveness of your sin, you are literally, according to Scripture, metaphorically speaking, Living in darkness. Do you think we live in a dark world? Do you see that out there? Have you noticed that before? Sure, there's common grace and people can, uh, can have blessings. They can have great things happen. They can have pleasure for a season, absolutely. There's a lot of things to chase and pursue in this world. People do that every single day. I'm not denying any of that. But at the end of the day, if you don't know Jesus... It's like you were just going down the wrong path into a tunnel that turns into a cave. And eventually, at some point along the way, you're going to get lost in that dark, dingy cave. And you're going to get dirty. And you're going to feel like you're ready to die. Apart from Jesus Christ, that's where every single person is at. The reason people picked up stones to stone Jesus here was because Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be the Savior of the world. And even to this day, when people actually find out and they realize what Jesus claimed to be and who he actually was, who he claimed to be, people hate Jesus because their hearts are darkened and they do not understand and they do not see the light of Jesus Christ. So we live in a dark world. And I told you this was offensive. This is way more offensive than joking about our holidays. This is, this is a serious offense that we have all sinned against a holy God. And the only way for us to achieve or us to find salvation, we can't achieve it by our own good works. The only way we find it is to be rescued by God. We live in a culture that for decades has told us dark lies. 
So many of these, it's, it's, it's easy to lose track of the truth, even, even as a follower of Jesus Christ. But our world has told us that sex isn't exclusively tied to one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. And, and, and they've thrown out this idea that, that in, in a sexual relationship, you can know each other more deeply. You can grow more intimate in your love. Now, the science is catching up on this. It's actually confirming everything that God has revealed about it. But people still pretend that that's not true, that it's a recreational thing, that love is love, and I can, I can pursue anything I want, any desire that I have. It doesn't matter. That's what I'm going to pursue. The fact that God says he created marriage, he created sex as a gift in, in a covenant relationship, that shouldn't be controversial between a man and a woman. But that's because our world is living in darkness and they do not see the truth. I mean, our young people live in a country where across, across the land, everything they are, are consuming as far as media and, and what they're being taught, many times even in the education system, is anti-God and it's pro-humanism. That's, that's what people are digesting. And you have kids that come home from school and their home is in disarray. And you have the blind leading the blind, right? Parents who aren't stepping up and teaching their kids about God and the truth. And so who steps in that place? Somebody's, some, they're, gonna, they're gonna learn from someone, right? It used to be MTV and Nickelodeon. Now it's just YouTube. And it's just every knucklehead who can has a, has a phone who wants to hit record and stream their, their views. That's, that's what people are consuming, right? We live in a dark world. And, and when you think about it, it, it gets pretty depressing. So there's good news coming, don't worry. There's very good news coming. But the truth is, out there in this world, don't be deceived. Don't be, don't, don't be naive. It's a dark world that we live in. And, and we have a lot of teachers in this church, and I love that. I'm so glad that you are lights on a mission field out there. I, I hope there's more teachers that continue to come out of our church. Uh, props to you. It's a hard job, and it's a very important job. But even in the Bible Belt, we're not talking California or New York, even, even here, the stuff that people are learning and hearing in, in high school, in junior high, even, even younger than that in some cases, is cramming an agenda down people's throats of, of gender fluidity and, and you name it, assist, uh, just, just go on, you know, you can go on down the list of the stuff, the critical race theory, all the stuff that, is, that has got dark fruit. So that's the darkness that we live in. And it sounds, I mean, if you, if you step back and realize what is actually going on out there, it sounds an awful like, a lot like a cult, a lot more than you think, right? To brainwash people. But that's the dark world that we live in. And Jesus is saying, the only way out of darkness, this is for you too, okay? So, so personalize this. There's only one way out of darkness. Jesus says, it's me. It's me. I am the light of the world. The only way to be free from the bondage of sin is to repent of your own personal sin and turn to Jesus Christ. By faith, Look at what Jesus did. He shed his blood on the cross. Three days later, he rose again from the tomb. He defeated sin and death. 
That is the only way. Repentance and faith in Jesus, and you will be freed from bondage and darkness, the slavery of sin, and you will, and you will actually be a child of God with a new identity. Now let's look at this last point, verse 12. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, last part, but will have the light of life. And this is point three. Have the light of life. Remember when I asked you to write down what the, the purpose of a sign was? Time to get that paper out, all right? Whatever you wrote there, I'm sure you wrote something that's good. I want you to see the whole point of this, this message is, what is the sign pointing to? Signs pointing to Jesus, right? So would you just cross out whatever you wrote there? Maybe you could just even write this over the top of those words if you want to like get a pen out. If you wrote in pencil, get a pen out. Whatever you want to do, make it pretty, make it memorable, and just cross out the reason that you wrote down for a sign and write, be a light of the light of the world. If you know Jesus Christ, he has actually gifted you and equipped you to be one of his lights. He is the light, and now you, as a child of God, are a light of the king. You're a sign that points people to Jesus. Be a light of the light of the world. The light of life, Jesus Christ. So the whole illumination of the temple, it pointed to the Messiah. We, as the lights of Jesus Christ, are to point people to the Messiah. And if we have him, we have the light. That's who we are. We are a sign that points to peace in this life. We are a sign that points to hope in this present darkness. We are a sign that points to the only one who gives eternal life in a place where we will be reunited with God, where there'll be no more pain, no more sickness, no more death, no more night. That's where we're going if we know Christ. Jesus is the light and we are his lights. And this is Jesus' intention for you. For ordinary people to live inspiring lives. Not because we have it all together, not because we've figured out the system and we're better than the next guy. No, no. We were in darkness too, and he pulled us out of that. He rescued us. He saved us by his grace and by his mercy. And we have gone from darkness to light. The only difference between us and the person who's still living in darkness is Jesus has saved us, and we've confessed our sin. We were a sinner just like them, but he made us new. So don't miss the point. Don't sell yourself short. Don't make something in this world, something in this present life, maybe a good thing in your life right now, don't make that the main thing. Don't get out there at the sign of Colorful Colorado, snap a picture, and then go home. Don't do that. Remember what the sign is pointing to. There's a pastor I listened to who uh, said that Jesus did not come to make slight alterations to our lifestyles. He called us to live for a completely different kingdom. 
being a Christian, being a light of the light of life, you can't, you can't, you can't make a better job description. You can't dream of a better scenario, a, a more important reason to live. That's the mission of this church. People, individual lives who are pointing others to Jesus Christ. And this is the message of the rest of the New Testament. If you're saved out of, out of darkness, here's your new identity. Ephesians 5.8 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That's Ephesians 5.8. Philippians 2.15 says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in this world. So worship team, you can come up here. I'm going to wrap this up, but Jesus isn't the, isn't the sign. He is the light that all the signs point to. And think about, think about a light that is shining, right? Light is first, first and foremost something that is meant to be seen. We as Christians are meant to be seen. And a Christian that stops at the front door of the church is completely useless. Church isn't just something that you go to on Sunday, right? You have to, you have to live seven days a week as a light of Christ. Secondly, light guides. A light guides us down a path where something can be made clear. We as lights must make the way clear for others. So we have to know truth to point people to Jesus Christ. Thirdly, and lastly, light warns. A light can often be a, something that is a warning. It tells us where there's danger ahead, and sometimes it's our duty to actually warn people concerning the path that they are taking. So if people are going down a direction, down a path that is leading them into the dark, dingy cave, of despair and death, darkness, it's our mission and it's our calling and it's our honor, really. It's, it's, it's a high calling to actually point them and steer them back to the light. That's the loving thing to do. And love isn't just accepting everyone for exactly who they are because you know what? We all have things that... We should change about ourselves, right? You can desire something. You can feel something that actually isn't lining up, that is taking you away from Jesus Christ. And it's not loving just to accept all of those things. The loving thing to do is point them to Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. And he saved every single person in this room who is called on his name. And there may be someone here today there probably is someone here today, maybe more than one, probably a handful of people here today who have never given their life to Jesus Christ, the light of life. And if you're making your life about anything other than the creator of this world, the savior of this world, you're gonna be disappointed. As great as marriage is, as great as a healthy church body can be, no matter what the sign, it all points back to Jesus Christ. Would you stand up with me?
We have to make the main thing the main thing. We have to shine the light of Jesus to a lost and dying world. And if you're struggling today and, and you're in that place where you feel like you're in darkness, you know Jesus Christ, but there's so many things in this dark, nasty world that have got you down. Again, I would just point you to Jesus Christ. You're not gonna be able to solve it. There's no one in this room that can actually figure out your problem for you. But there is hope in Jesus. Because as bad as this life can be, from the mistakes, from the effects of sin that other people have on us, Jesus Christ is still the light of the world. And he's the light of life. What do you need to lay aside? Is there something, is there a hobby, is there a, is there a pursuit that you have that is a great thing in and of itself, but it's become the main thing? Don't let any of those signs that point to Jesus become what you worship. Uh, and there's, I mean, we, we could preach another sermon probably from this exact same text. I may do that, I don't even know yet. But this was a great passage for me to see. And when you, what we, what we just sang, what we just sang about, um, when all hope is lost and your word is all I've got, I have to believe you still bring water from the rock. Even that beautiful line right there is, is, a, is a picture, the rock in the wilderness there is a picture of Jesus Christ. If you remember, the same, the same exact time that the Israelites were following the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, they were letting the light, they were following that light, which all was a picture of, of our salvation. There was a time there where they needed water. They needed, they needed God's provision. And God said, all right, Moses, I want you to go to this rock and speak to the rock and I will have water flow out miraculously from this rock. Well, Moses was like, okay, I can do that, but it kind of sounds crazy to speak to a rock, so what if I ramp it up and dramatically strike the rock with my rod instead? He disobeyed God. He didn't understand what that was picturing, right? But he struck the rock that pictured Jesus Christ, and God in his mercy and his grace still gave water. The water still flowed out of that rock. That's the kind of God that we have. Even when we mess up and make mistakes, he will still show us grace and mercy. And maybe you're, like I said, you're, you're hearing this sermon about the light, about being the light, and you're just like, David, I can't get past this, this own dark thing in my life right now. The only thing I can say is, Jesus Christ, look to him. He is the light of the world. And you have hope in him. And that light is the only thing that can shine out the darkness that you're, that you're currently in. But let's close with Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You are loved.